2: And this time last week, we recorded a pod called Keep It Going. Lakers had won two in a row. They're going into a weekend, and we were hopeful that they could kind of build on that momentum. But it was entering a weekend against the Utah Jazz and Cleveland Cavaliers, both of whom are right at the top of their respective conferences. This weekend, after a very rough week, the Lakers are looking to get it back under different circumstances. They played the Sacramento Kings tonight, who are probably the worst team that the Lakers have played so far. And then the Brooklyn Nets on Sunday, who are certainly playing better as of late, uh, but haven't started the season particularly well either. However, we also got news that LeBron will be out for tonight's game against the Kings, and probably Sunday as well. The Lakers have an unusual break in that they have several days off between, what's it, Sunday and then Thursday, I think, is the next game. And so it just kind of an unusual uh, bit of circumstances. So, Mike, we have some easier opponents, but we've got a situation with LeBron. Give us an update on that, on where, where things stand with LeBron.
1: Yeah, I thought it was actually pretty good news, all things considered, about LeBron. Because when when you have, we, we discussed this yesterday, when you have an injury to a groin or a hamstring, those are ones that can, that can just go longer, uh, regardless of how minor they are. But uh, the fact that they they listed LeBron first as doubtful and then eventually changed that to out later in the day, but you know have not officially ruled him out yet for Sunday. It's not. It's of course different from will be reevaluated in two weeks, which is what happened with Pascal Siakam, who had a similar injury, mm-hmm. uh, right? And usually, reevaluated in two weeks typically means three or four weeks by the time you actually get somebody back. And this is more of a day to day. We'll kind of see how he feels as these days go on. And it does It does kind of go to what LeBron said after the game when we asked him about it. And he said, it's not like it was before when I essentially tore it going against Golden State on that Christmas game. And that lingered or was there for the rest of the season. So I think you're right, Pete, that I would be surprised if he played on Sunday. And the game isn't actually until Friday um, against Detroit. So I have never since I started with the wow. Lakers in 2008, I've never seen a stretch of the season where there's just not a single game during the work week, <laughs> like just
2: That's Monday wild. through Friday. Yeah. It's,
1: it's like you can have a mini training camp almost, you know, get guys healthy, get guys working. And, you know, shooter. I was told before, let's see, when, when was the last game? Today's first, the last game was on Wednesday. I was told that shooter could be somewhere between like seven to 10 days. Um, And that would put him in line for potentially returning at the end of that week if he crosses some hurdles. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, this week, can the Lakers find a way right to put together a couple of wins without LeBron James and Sacramento to start is a team that I think that they have a good shot to play well against, uh, especially after playing against. Utah and who there's there are some similarities between those teams Utah is playing a lot more free but in terms of Darius wrote about this in his in his uh, three things column for Lakers.com for the preview and actually Darius why don't I just let you get into it but we we had hinted at it in the way that Sacramento comprises its front line um, relative to what Anthony Davis does
3: yeah and so I'm drawing parallels, Mike, between Sacramento and the Jazz a little bit, particularly defensively and how to leverage that when it comes to Anthony Davis. And so the Jazz don't necessarily start a defensively prolific front line in Laurie Marketed and Kelly Olynyk, And the Kings are starting DeMonte Sabonis at center and – um that's a player where AD should be able to attack him and and test their internal defense and and the resolve of of their paint defense and the Lakers can go to AD I think um and this is where the comp I think this would be true if LeBron played but I think it's especially true with LeBron out. One of the things I also noted in the preview is that AD's usage has been down. His usage rate has been down this season compared to his previous seasons with with the Lakers in particular, but just his career in general. It's, it's the third lowest rate of his career. So I think that there would have been opportunities for that to go up organically. But LeBron being out is not organic right? This is one of those times where they're going to go to AD, Pete, and I think that they should, and they should force the King's hand, and maybe that means double teams, maybe that means different defensive strategies, but in the big picture, like... This is an AD game, I think, and a pressure of the paint game, which is what the Lakers do best in the first place, particularly with with Russ as well. So I think the combination of AD as a 1A and 1B, like that would be my my approach. And then Russ is like a 1C or a number two. Right. Or taking on that role when AD is not in the game. Like that's the one two punch that I'm looking for. And it's inside out, inside out. Keep going.
2: Yeah, I think AD is probably the captain of our half-court offense tonight and Russ is controlling things in transition. I think Russ has the potential to have a big game in this game uh, just due to their, – they're a ball pressure team and one of the things that ball pressure is vulnerable get against is somebody who can drive to the basket. That's something that we saw – one of the adjustments Cleveland made in the second half was – like there was a play where Donovan Mitchell picked up Russ at half-court and Russ just put him in the sidecar all the way to the basket for a layup and, and an and one. And so – That is typically their strategy, and the Lakers are an unusual team where it's like, oh, hey, maybe if we just back off them and make them shoot jump shots, we can beat them, and that's totally how teams beat us. And so Russ's ability—if they choose to press up on that on that—then Russ is really important. And he remember they they shellacked us in the last preseason game. Russ came off the bench for the first time, had a good like five minutes, and then you know had a hammy issue, went back to 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 the locker room, and so. I think he's a real key in just that putting the pressure on the rim. And like you said, like you said, Anthony Davis. This should be a twenty-two to twenty-five shot attempt type of night. Sabonis can't guard him. He's not quick enough to stay with him. And Barnes is too small. Like they don't have anybody that can guard him, which is true of a lot of teams in the NBA. And so that level of aggression and that level of like of Attacking over and over again, the way that he was in the second quarter against Markkanen, Mike, I think is going to be super important. However, I also think I also know that that's a lot to ask of a guy to do everything for us on defense while getting 25 shot attempts up. It's a, it's a huge ask. And that's part of the reason why like, Hey, let's try to take some of that defensive responsibility off his plate as much as possible. So just with LeBron being out, we'll probably see more winning, I would guess. Um, But yeah, we're very small back there. So that's one of the other things I'm looking for. Mike is like, does Darwin change any of the approach that he's taken in previous games, whether it's schematically or personnel wise to try to solve a, a tough problem to solve with LeBron out?
1: The early indications from Darwin is that he's less apt to change for a one game type stretch what he's been doing. But LeBron is kind of a, a particular case where maybe he has to, but when LeBron was out and I asked him before the game, okay, does this mean maybe you, you need more usage from somebody like Russ? And he said, no, like Russ is going to stay in this spot. I like him being there. So it gets back to the question then of how to help A.D. best and on what end does he need that help best. And I think that all co- kind of comes in context with this opponent in Sacramento, whose offense is clicking well uh, with their defense not clicking well. And essentially from last year, they just brought in some more shooting. And Kevin Herter has been shooting ridiculous percentages. Like He's he's over 50 percent above the break which I think is either leads the NBA or is among the top. And he's, he's way over 40 in the corners as well. So he's just shooting nails from everywhere. And then we know they have Malik Monk off the Lakers roster uh, from last season. And so it's a team that is clicking pretty well on that end. And, but what does that mean from an AD perspective though? Cause Sabonis is a handful uh, inside. And if, if, you know, I don't think you can have Wenyon Gabriel guarding him much anyway. No. So, yeah. you know what I mean? In the fours, they're playing Harrison Barnes, mostly at the four, and he's been hot and cold, but he can certainly get going. So, you know, Darius, how does this, how do the specific matchups with Sacramento and what their offense has been have you think about AD and, and who you'd play next to him?
3: I'd play Wenyon, and I think that you then have to think about who the Lakers' defensive wings and guards are, right? And And so assuming Russ is going to come off the bench and we'll see what happens with Lonnie. He's listed as questionable and he missed the last game, even with a questionable designation. And so we thought that he might play the last game. And so, like, I have no feel for that. Um, So let's take Lonnie out of the um, equation for a second, Pete. Like the one of the things that Darvin has done is he's gone to Kendrick Nunn. A fair amount as a replacement, Mm -hmm. sort of like that offensive player who he is the guy who helps fill in the blanks a little bit from what LeBron is going to do from an offensive standpoint, just a ball handler, a shot creator, someone who can run handoffs and, and pick and rolls. But to Mike's point, this is a discussion that we've had a fair amount is the best way to support the stars and where does that support best come from? And I lean more towards defense. In this case, because to me, if you're going to beat the Kings um, or beat any team, really, from the Lakers perspective, it's not going to be based off of like how do we raise our ceiling in our half court offense situations it's how can we generate more transition opportunities or play an early offense more and the way to play an early offense more or generate transition opportunities is through your defense and I I noted that stat about um Lakers second quarter success and it's easy to look at how well they do offensively in those stretches but all of their success is keyed off of what they're doing defensively pete And, and so if i'm trying to replicate that over the course of the game i'm looking at how how can the team put more defensive talent on the floor and the types of defensive talent that can then turn that into transition opportunities. And so like a part of that is then like, okay, well, Patrick Beverly is obviously one of the better defensive players. But then again, like it's why I brought up Wenyon because he's a guy who is helping in the paint defensively. And then he's playing with high motor. Like he's helping in the paint to protect. He's helping on the glass and then he is someone who is changing ends and turning defensive possessions into offensive possessions. And that's what I'm looking for from the Lakers in general, right? So where are you at in terms of how to best support AD and what
2: side of the ball does that come on and who can provide it from a player standpoint? So the the Wenyon point is like, that's the big guy that we need, that energy guy to change ends, to help out on the boards, to be able to run some no roller behind, uh, drops and, you know, deflect lobs and things like that. But as Mike said, we're talking about Kevin Herter and Malik Monk. We got a De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes is a perimeter player. And so, a guy I'd like to talk to you guys about just for a little stretch and get your thoughts on is Juan Toscano Anderson. He's somebody that was in the rotation at the very beginning of the year and then got hurt for a couple of games and has not found his way back there. One of my major concerns with him going into the season was how does he operate offensively when the gravity is in the completely opposite direction? And I think a lot of the answers that we've gotten to that are has been that it's tough, right? On a team that can't shoot going from the Golden State Warriors to the worst shooting team in the NBA just the opportunities to get to the basket and to play off of that are different but Mike in a lot of his comments he's been in a and I I view him in this way in just a general sense as somebody who's kind of figured out everywhere he's been how he fits in into that particular situation and I think LeBron being out for a couple of games and we have such a dearth at the forward spot that I think it's a chance for JTA to kind of find his spot within that and so that idea of turning defense into offense getting out into transition the best version of JTA fits right into that in a more smaller forward way than Wenyon does where he's more of that bigger type of player and so I'm just curious your your thoughts on JTA Mike and kind of where he's at in fitting in with the Lakers.
1: JTA I think the the idea of what he brings uh, is still really appealing and for a couple of different reasons he hasn't had that level of production on the court every game so far. And last game, you saw Darwin play Max Christie fourteen minutes and JTA four. Now, LeBron, of course played thirty two, and those are two of the guys in terms of the bench players, unless you include certain offensive sets that have Matt Ryan getting some additional looks. But you know, both of those guys, I think, have to play more, but I'm just I'm more curious that Darwin has already kind of taken this liking to Christie and for understandable mm-hmm. reasons. And, mm-hmm. and I don't, so let me first kind of push that back to you. Do you see, do you see Christie and what we've, how he's emerged so far, what he can do defensively as being a guy that takes some of those minutes maybe that would have more obviously gone to JTA if we told you before the season that LeBron was going to miss a couple games?
2: It's one of those things where in the short term, like he's just going to learn some lessons playing in his first games and like legitimate rotational minutes. But there's some degree of investment where like I don't know if you guys have noticed like his his shooting stroke is already faster than it was. He took a couple threes in that last game where he, he got those 14 minutes where he got it up pretty quick, Mike. And I was like, Oh, look at him. And yeah. so, like that investment in the player he's
1: gonna be. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see this. I know you end up watching most of the post-game interviews, but we talked to him the other day. And was this after Utah? I think it was after Utah, the Utah loss. But but he had I'd asked him about the shooting, and he was kind of like, Yeah, like not only has he made some improvements there, but he's bigger now like just standing in front of him his uh he's starting to get some of the the muscle sinew stuff out of the biceps and again when i first saw him this summer he looked anything but over 19 you know and in all different ways so it's like whoa he i think he grew some he's gotten stronger his stroke's getting a little bit quicker i've heard that he's a worker bee so yeah yeah, man there's that that's kind of the uh the eyebrow up in a good way over max
2: christie so when I do my creeper lurking right outside of the uh, the balcony, right, where I can barely see the court, and a lot of times the guys that are getting run in are like the South Bay guys, but Max is always out there. Like whenever I I walk by, Max is in some type of run or working with a coach or something like that. So yeah, man, uh, how, how about you, D? Where are you at on Max Christie? I like Christie a lot. I told you guys, and this makes me
3: old in terms of the types of theories that I carry, but I'm a pedigree guy. Give me the dude who was a five-star high school recruit. Give me the guy who was a McDonald's All-American. Give me the guy who was supposed to be the next whatever, because the talent base was there. And and let's see what we can do to mold that ball of clay into the thing that we all thought or that somebody, a lot of people thought, was going to be a capable guy at one point and, and build him up. So Christie symbolizes that to me a certain amount. I've talked about this a lot, but I love, love, love his defensive approach and tools. I love his fundamentals. He is a young player. He plays a mature game. And he is someone who I do think it's right to that word investment that you use, Pete. I think that's the right word. Like it's smart to invest in him because he has the player profile that is missing on this team. Not necessarily as like some big wing who's 6'9 or whatever, but positional size, 6'6, 6'7 type, um, growing into his body, getting stronger and D and three, which is what this team needs So let's go to break here. And when we come out the other side, we'll talk a little bit more about the Kings and then maybe get around
0: the league a little bit more too. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: So one last thing about the Kings, and, and I want to um, sort of bridge this gap between JTA and Christie and even Wenyon some. One of the reasons why I advocated for Wenyon is because his ability to change ends allows and it compensates for AD in certain ways that I think are super important when you talk about what the asks are, Pete, defensively defensively of, of Davis. He's going to be asked to anchor the paint on both sides of the floor, and that's a lot of running. It's just a lot of running and what one of the things where I think AD has had some challenges this season is changing ends from offense to defense and picking up his own man and what that means for the Lakers uh, defensive integrity in the half court and in early offense. And so that's one of the reasons why I was advocating for Wenyon specifically. It's because on those possessions where maybe AD is battling for an offensive rebound and Sabonis just runs out. It's like Wenyon might be the guy who's picking him up defensively early in possessions rather than JTA or Kendrick Nunn or Patrick Beverly. And these are the small things that I think that add up over the course of a game that matter to me. And so what do you think about that idea?
2: It's it's so funny because when you started talking about that, I thought you were going to talk about offense. And like Wenyon's rim running is also super helpful too. And so that same element on both sides of the court really comes into play there are a lot of plays where ad's the last guy up court now that's typically going to be what your five does but even on opportunities where he's got the chance to get all the way down he's just not running the court all that well and so a guy like Wenyan is going to run the court and is going to and by getting that rim run run mike it kind of you know the transition lanes that darvin was talking about all over the course of this offseason all of that it helps things kind of fall into place um but yeah like this to me mike is a is a couple of games where finding like we haven't found all of the role players that we we think will lock in and what their place is there's a guy like troy brown where we're like okay we think he's part of the solution finding out where max fits into this where where Wenyon fits into this getting jta some minutes that where he was out of the rotation matt ryan guys like that i think there's still value in these types of games in finding that because you can you can apply that going forward no question
1: so so it's and all of these things are going to be increasingly important. Let me try to put this in context with the Western standings because the Lakers are already with this 2 and 9 start, they're already way behind what the pace was going to be for where they were hoping to be in terms of contention, where I think, you know, the hope was that things would just click and they would for them internally and they would they would be in that sort of top 6 or at least the back end of that top 6 mix. And that's barring something unforeseen or some like spectacular trade, you know, that conversation is already very difficult. The play in mix has now become difficult in a way because you've got Portland and Utah right now that are one and two in the West, 10 and three and nine and three. And I do expect that they will fall off some, but as we've discussed a little bit before, you know, they're. Not only are they playing well, but they've got two of the sort of amazing chemistry teams where all of the guys are doing interviews together and they all love each other. And it, yeah. the team spirit is so high that that alone so can win you a bunch of NBA regular season games, barring mm-hmm. you know some sort of injury or something. So then you've got some of the teams that were, that we expected to be good. And it's Denver and Memphis and Phoenix. like They're all up there. Um, well over 500. The Clippers have righted their ship to some extent after starting awfully. Um, Dallas, though, then then you've got this kind of middle class of teams that are right ahead of the the Lakers. It's Dallas six and five, Pelicans six and six, Spurs five and seven. They'll drop off some not for sure. And then the Timberwolves, who have been just about as bad conceptually <laughs> and spiritually as the Lakers. Yeah, uh, and, and disappointing all kinds of internal well disappointing but i also think predicted um by, by like that was just a bad trade um it was and it's not clicking and it's not working And And there I'll, I'll leave that aside we know that i'm from minnesota and there's always a part of me that sort of pulls uh, pulls for that and also makes me sometimes react like a fan you know when i it's the one team in the league where i see from afar and i'm like what like what are they doing sure. um, and <laughs> and so so now the lakers though at two and nine That's the play. The Wolves right now are that play-in team. And then and then you have the Kings who are behind them. And guess who else? The Warriors at four and seven. So everybody the Warriors will write the ship eventually. They will get up into that mix, right? And so who's dropping off? Well, the Spurs, that's one. But you still need essentially three more teams. And Houston's down, OKC's down. You still need at least two more teams just for the Lakers to be getting into that nine-10 type of battle and and I'm curious to you guys who you see as the potential faller um outside of San Antonio that that is in the current top ten and and sort of how you think that puts what where the Lakers are in some context
3: when Mike was talking earlier about the jazz and the blazers, they passed the vibe check test right mm-hmm. And Minnesota does not and no. so when you're talking about like potential teams that would fall out. I wonder about the Wolves, honestly, because they're one of those teams that does need to find, they need to find the best version of themselves. And they have muddied that picture through the Gobert trade by playing bigger. And it's, you you know, you could never judge a team, Pete, off of viral clips or, um or a random quote that comes out because it's just like, you, we. this isn't the Lakers. We're
2: not watching them every day. We don't know every single thing. And, and we see that stuff with the Lakers, right? Like that. the Lakers are often presented in that way by people who follow the Lakers in that way where if you follow them, it's like, oh, well, yeah. Yes,
3: I'm getting a memeable version of the Timberwolves. Like I'm not locked sure. in. them, And so I don't want to speak too heavily in this area. Right. But like I see quotes from the head coach saying like, well, we we have Carl Anthony Towns. We're a big like we're going to play big. And then I see quotes from Anthony Edwards being like, well, I don't know what you expect from me in regards to X, Y and Z because the lane's more crowded. I can't just go up and dunk over everyone when there's that many people in the lane. And then you see a clip of Edward sort of standing above the break and they're running a play and it's just like, and he's just sort of standing there with his hands on his hips and like, mm-hmm. right. And so, like I said, I'm getting the memeable version of them, but they're the team. If Mike's asking the question, like, Hey, who from the top 10, like they don't pass the vibe
2: check early on. And so they would be my other candidate, but where are you at? So I think there are three teams that can fall out of that top 10. One is the, the, the T-Wolves. The second is the Spurs. And then the third is an unnamed one that gets decimated by injuries.
1: Sorry, I was just saying the Spurs are sort of a guarantee. Work, right? Just based yeah. on talent and based on what they're looking for. So yeah, so we're, we're already dropping them out.
2: For sure. Yeah. So Spurs, T-Wolves, and then someone who gets their butts kicked by injury. That, and I don't know who that's going to be. And that wouldn't be every team, right? There are several teams up top that could totally survive a couple of injuries. I just think that there's a high likelihood that somebody- fits that. And like Portland could be a team as as good as their vibes are to start out with a couple injuries. Like they had a nine and three stretch. If they had a three and nine stretch at some point during the season, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. So, but they certainly have a nice buffer to start out with.
1: Well, I guess, so this is kind of my point though, is that we all agree on how the Timberwolves look right now and the vibes and the fit in that the fit is not good. And they don't have, at this point, they don't have the resources to go out and make a change to the fit mm-hmm. because they gave everything up in this Gobert trade but yet it's still a very talented team um like they, they still have a lot of yes. a lot of good players and they even so they still they already have three more wins you know than the Lakers mm-hmm. and, and it I guess what the sense of urgency that the Lakers should be feeling for these home games against Sacramento and Detroit yes. to me is very high and I'm yes. I don't know for sure that that's what the level of urgency is. And I mean this literally in terms of Mm. the play-in already. Like I get that it's really early. I get that there are 70 games left, but the picture of the Western Conference, while the West is not, it's not great as it's been in other years, it's it's solid in terms of its depth. And there are not a lot of nights, even including some of the teams that I mentioned, Darius, like Houston and Oklahoma City, that you can take for granted going in and getting Mm -hmm. a win with the young talent and the energy. So... I uh, I just want to sound the alarm bells for what the picture is, even in terms of the play in at this point.
3: So I have a question for you, Guys. Then, Mike, you're already throwing out words like like urgency and desperation. That's that's a rough place to be this early in the season. How? Yeah, that can't be good for the mental health, the general mental health of the team, right? When they're looking at a Kings, a random Kings game. <laughs> on a Friday night and being like, Hey, we gotta get this one. And, and mm-hmm. so Pete, like, these are where, these are like sort of the, the, like we talk about front burner issues, right? These are side burner issues, but the side burners continuing to burn do bring heat to the equation. And, and so just, I'm putting it to you that exact way. Like, where's your head at in terms of that? Like, to me, this can't be good for the team, that this is where things are this, like this early. It's hard.
2: It's certainly not. And it shouldn't be on the side burner. It should be on the front burner, which I think is part of Mike's point, right? That urgency, that desperation. I'm, And so I'm always an advocate for the value of today and the small wins that you can earn today can lead to big wins down the line. Uh, but that it's not good for the team and it's that is where we are though and that's where we need to be and where we need to make the best of the situation that we're in I mean do we want another 70 games of a dead season and that's certainly possible though with if morale sinks too low Mike and if you start looking at the standings and it's like oh we're 2 and 12, or with 3 and 14, you know, like that's the, you let go more and more of that rope as more and more times and uh, time passes, more and more losses accumulate. And so that's To me, precisely why this has to be a front burner issue and something that, yes, yes, tonight, this November 11th game against the Sacramento Kings, (laughs) yes, we have to win this game tonight. Uh, Because at some point, I think to your point, Mike, is like, we're already way off pace to get into that. And so you got to turn that around. And this is the stretch that we have the best opportunity to do that.
1: And right now, just in the last week, Sacramento's playing better basketball than the Lakers are. Mm. And the Lakers don't have LeBron James. So- there are some players and Anthony Davis is at the top of the list, but on down the line of on the Lakers roster where it's, it's also, I think difficult for Darwin ham to come in and try to like, try to reach this team when they still have, this is where the lack of cohesion coming into the season and the lack of continuity has come in Yeah, where he's just trying to, to teach them the type of way and style that, that, that he wants them to play. And it's hard to do that. And then also you know, just emphasize the, the importance of just, Hey, whatever happens and all this stuff we're trying to put in, like you got to win this game today. And because some of them haven't happened in a couple of the games that they should have won, it's a snowball. It just keeps building and it gets heavier. And the weight, uh, yep. as Darius mentioned mentally, is one thing. And then there's just the reality of it. So it's uh, it's not, it's not something that can't be handled. And maybe a, there could be a stroke of good luck. That happens, which certainly hasn't for the Lakers. It seems like it's been the other way. Uh, It's just uh, I just wanted to underscore what's going on with the rest of the West, which which I think is significant um, when you think about what the goals are for the season, which to me should should be get yourself in a position where the right type of a move can, you know, like use the play in um, as it as a, as a way to to really try and, and write and justify a season that of course can't go the other way with the whole Pelicans pick swap thing.
2: So th- that's the thing, D. That on the brighter side of things, with the structure that we have with the play in, ten teams make some form of the playoffs. We are currently two and a half games back of the tenth seed. Now that's eleven games into the season for us, so that's not great, but it's certainly not insurmountable. And so there is some degree of you get a lot of. A lot of time to get your act together in the the playoff format that we currently have so as you know that urgency that desperation all of that certainly not good for the team but there's also like it's not so far away and so far like the end goal is not so far away that it's not achievable you know 100 percent and this is where
3: the sense of alignment through the top of the organization down to the bottom is a factor that we haven't discussed at all but it's also a piece of the puzzle as well right and so that Mm -hmm. urgency that mike is discussing in terms of like hey go get it done go get it done like this is an important game pete you're just like hey don't want to say it's a must win on november 11th but it's a must win on november 11th right and so a part of that is too is Where's the front office at? What is their mindset around the team, where it's at now, where it projects to be, and the runway that they do or don't have in order to get to that final destination? And are there things that can be done in order to give this group a better chance of actually getting to to that place? Those are all a part of the discussion that and those are things that happen behind the scenes, but they're important as well, Mike.
1: I always enjoy the, the discussion around must win right and how some people take must wins literally and and therefore like will not say it's a must win until mathematically it becomes a must win right (laughs) but the 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 place that i'm coming from is always okay well if you lose games that the types of games like early in the season that portland game early in the season right where where you're up and you're playing better overall um or the early Clipper game or, or, just a game like this one with the Kings where they're not a good team, even if they're playing a little better, but it's home. Right. And you sort of need it. Then all that does is it just moves up the calendar for your, for your literal must win game. So instead of it being, yep. you know, March 24th against Oklahoma city, your must win becomes March 15th at Houston. If you lose these two. So that's how it works. Like you can, your must win might come against a team that you're not supposed to be uh, later in the season mm-hmm. because you lost to a team that you are. So that's, that's all. It's like, it's not a hard uh, must win, but it's a, it's a very firm must
2: win. Mike, you just described last season. The games that we lose to OKC twice, to Detroit, to Houston, that turns our must win against a smoking hot New Orleans Pelicans team that is, you know what I'm saying? On the road with Anthony Davis's first game back, that's the one that you got to win to be able to get into the plan. That's exactly what happened last year. Well, I will say, too, that I've written a gazillion recaps to games and i
3: will tell you that an idea that is too often discussed is the last second shot that didn't go in or the defensive breakdown in the last minute of a two possession or, or and in in a one possession yes. game and like oh so and so lost us the game and no one talks about the nonsense three turnovers that you had in the first quarter that the other team turned into seven points like yep. you can just as easily lose a game in the first quarter as you can in the fourth quarter like I'm going to take a quote from our beloved The Wire, Pete, and it's just like, all the pieces matter. And Mm -hmm. this is what Mike's talking about. It's like, hey, let's not get to the point where you're moving up your must wins by a month and a half because the ones that you should have won turned into losses and like... This is the first quarter of the season. You could just as easily lose your season in the first quarter of the season as you do in the last stretch where you're just like, oh, man, remember, like, this is a must win game because it's going to get us into this spot. Well, the game that you played on November 11th against the Kings, that game mattered too, right? And so let's not leave the urgency for the last part of the year where you feel like I have to do it because the math tells you so.
1: The last corollary I would make there is, too, is is the teams that kind of go, oh, well, if we would have just hit this shot, then we would have won that game. But what you (laughs) never say is, well, if we would have missed that shot, like the Matt Ryan shot, then we would have lost that game. So teams and people tend to just look in the past at the things that could have been, but just count the positive ones without counting the negative ones, right? It's a a similar corollary to the must-win thing.
2: We do this in playoff series as well, where it's like, uh, game one went this way, but this guy went six for eight from three. That's not going to happen again. That's not going to happen again. But, I mean, just as easily something else that's not going to happen again is going to happen in game two. So, yeah, this is certainly a way we can talk ourselves into things. All right, big weekend for the Lakers as normal as it seems as a, you know, mid-November type of game but this is where that urgency needs to happen because if you lose that first quarter 37 to 16 then you're chasing your tail and you're chasing all the way back and you could do a bunch of good work in the middle of the season but it's all erased by that bad first quarter so all right we'll see how the Lakers do uh good luck to them we'll be back Monday to talk about it but until then you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast we'll catch you guys next time
3: Danger's got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn these double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic, Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it.
2: Magic fires, it's good! Yeah, and the Lakers win the
3: game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It. It's on the way down! Bryant, 48 points,
1: 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block.
0: There's, There's the, the move, two, going. one, missing. it! victory. It. It's over. And shot popped out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tap to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe.
1: I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1
0: seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic.